Amen. Thank you. Let's start by uh, reading the passage from Isaiah chapter 45, uh, starting in verse 4. For the sake of my servant Jacob and Israel my chosen, I call you by your name. I name you, though you do not know me. I am the Lord, there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord, there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Shower, O heavens, from above, and let the clouds rain down from righteousness. Let the earth open and salvation, that salvation and righteousness may bear fruit. Let the earth cause them both to sprout. I, the Lord, have created it. Woe to him who strives with me, who formed him. A pot among earthen pots. Does the clay say to him who forms it, what are you making? Or your work has no handles? Woe to him who says to a father, what are you begetting? Or to a mother, with what are you in labor? This is the word of the Lord. Uh, so good morning, my name is Tony, and I am uh, one of the missionaries that you guys support uh, from uh, Panama. So I was in Nicaragua for a while, we've been in Panama for the last few years working there. We've been working um, in the jungle some, you might remember from seeing some of our update videos and such, but uh, been working in the jungle in the Embara indigenous community there. We've also, I've also been teaching at a seminary, and we've been caring for a church, a small church plant uh, in the city uh, of Panama City. So, so in order to help me get a little bit more comfortable, uh, I'm going to teach you guys a little bit of Spanish. So, so we did this last time, so we'll see how much you remember, um, but I have confidence in you guys. So if you don't remember it from three years ago, that's okay, I'll help you out. So, uh, so the first thing that happens, it's, it's a little uh, call and response. So during the sermon, spoiler alert, during the sermon, I'm going to do this, and you've got to be able to respond. Okay, this is the way we do it. So I'm going to say, quien vive, which means who lives, and you guys respond, Cristo, which means Christ. So let's try it. Quien vive? Cristo. Oh, man, you guys are good. All right. Then I'm going to say, a su nombre, which means to his name, and you're going to say, Gloria, which means Glory. Yeah, good. Some of you guys probably know Spanish really well already, apparently. So, a su nombre. Okay, now, here's, here's Spanish 2.0. So, we got that last year. So, so now, we're going to do a su pueblo, which means to his people. And the response is victoria, victoria, which means victory. Okay, so, a su pueblo. All right, so quien vive? A su nombre? A su pueblo? Gloria a Dios. All right. Feeling good. All right, now I'm comfortable. You guys learned the Spanish so well. You guys are so smart, so good looking, and, uh, you know, I want you guys to like me. Yeah, well, thank you. So uh, we were in Panama during the lockdown that they had there, which was pretty intense. Uh, so we were only allowed out for a certain gender day. So uh, men were allowed out Tuesdays and Thursdays. 
Sometimes Saturday, but sometimes uh, we would lose our Saturday privileges. So we were just Tuesdays and Thursdays, really for only an hour to shop and a little bit of time before and after. So I was allowed out Tuesdays and Thursdays from, from 1 to 2, from about March till about October, then again in December and January. So it was pretty intense. And we were leading a small church there, a small church of predominantly Venezuelan refugees who were having a hard time before the lockdown. So they, they left Venezuela, they moved to Panama, they were trying to get settled, but it was hard for them a lot of times to, to find jobs, a lot, of, a lot of times hard for them to get good apartments. Some of them were just in, in basically uh, like a hotel room converted to an apartment, sometimes less than that. And so they were already really stressed, already having a hard time. There wasn't any kind of like social security for the refugees, so, so it was a hard situation for them. And then you add the lockdown, and it was, it was a very difficult time. I mean, they're already going through so much stress, so much pain, because of the, the way that things happen when families have to, to become refugees. They're separated from their families. They may never see some of their kids or their siblings or their parents again because they're in different countries and they're poor. And now, now this, the icing on the cake, that they're just in lockdown, and it's really hard and really difficult so part of our work, the main part of our work during that period, was to try to bring them hope, try to convince them that God is in control of this situation, and he has good intentions towards you, even when you don't feel it. So we come back to the United States, and we've talked to a lot of Americans, and a lot of people kind of feel similarly unsettled about the future. Maybe not to the extent exactly as the Venezuelans did, but but there's this uh, a hopelessness, there's a sadness. A lot of people say, I- I'm really afraid for my kids and for my grandkids. They look at the culture, everything's changing. And it just seems like sometimes like we're losing. And, and what's going to happen for my kids and for my grandkids? So a lot of times we can have this, this feeling, this weighty feeling, this hopelessness. And that's not unlike the Jews in Isaiah's day. They were going through similar things. They were having similar experiences. So just to to place this uh, in history, so you can kind of get an an idea of where Isaiah is, right? In the beginning, God created Adam and Eve in the garden. Everything was perfect. Everything was good. And he he gives them one rule. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if they did that, then they would live. And if not, then they would be a curse and death. So did they obey him? They did not, right. They sinned, they eat the fruit, the world changes, sin enters the world, it was once a paradise, now it's filled with cancer and poison snakes and broken families and death. So sometime later humanity progresses, sometime later God chooses Abraham and he decides that through Abraham he's going to start revealing his kingdom again, he's going to start revealing who he is. And so he makes a covenant with Abraham and says that through your offspring all the nations of the world will be blessed. And we know that that eventually points to Christ coming and the salvation that he brings. So God makes this covenant with Abraham and the whole rest of history is God working out his faithfulness to that promise. So Abraham has a son, Isaac. Isaac has Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. They go into Egypt. They, they come out with Moses, saves them. They make a covenant with God uh, in the wilderness, and God says, I'm going to give you the lands. 
And uh, if you obey me and follow me, then you'll be blessed and things will go well. And if not, then there's going to be curses and difficulty. And then in Joshua, they take the land. And then are they faithful to God? No, they are not. And then we have the book of Judges. And I haven't seen it, but I've heard a lot about Squid Game. So if you like that and you want a follow-up of intensity and, and violence, you should read Judges. It's a pretty interesting book. So it's uh, my little plug for that. It's a, it's a fun one. <laughs> So they come in, they're a mess, there's judges that come because they go from faithfulness to unfaithfulness, and then they give them kings, so they have King Saul, then David, then Solomon, then Rehoboam, and under Rehoboam, the kingdom splits into two, and there's a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom, Israel, never has a good king. They're just all bad. And then the southern kingdom has, has some good kings and some bad kings. And eventually, the northern kingdom is so bad that God sends them into exile into Assyria with the Assyrians. And it's actually in this time that Isaiah is starting his ministry in the south, in, in Judah. If you remember Isaiah 6, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, and that was a good king, and he died. And then his son comes, Ahaz, and he is not a good king. He's a bad king, and he's afraid, because the world was changing. Everything around them was changing. Throughout most of the history, you know, there was battles with the, the local people, and they would lose some land, and then they would gain some land, but it was always a little bit of a back and forth. But now with the Assyrians, the world's changed. Everything's different. Now they're a major power, and, and Judah can't do anything about it. And Egypt is now more organized, and they're strong, and Babylon. And so, so now they're feeling the changing dynamics of, this, of the world. Ahaz, a bad king, he's so afraid of the Assyrians. He sees him take the north into the, into the exile. They, he changes the temple. He makes it a temple to the Assyrian god. And the faithful Jews are seeing this. They're having questions. They're concerned. I'm concerned about their kids, about their grandkids. What's going on? Everything's changing. Ahaz dies, and then Hezekiah becomes king, and he's a good king. Things are going okay. But then Isaiah gives a prophecy to Hezekiah that one day the southern kingdom is going to go into exile to Babylon. Now, that's real bad news. Right? Actually, reminds me of, uh, of Monty Python. When I see hopeless situations, it often does. So um, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's a, it's a funny movie. Uh, there's some parts you may want to skip in that. So if you need a little primer on that, you can let me know, and I'll tell you where. Fast forward, whatever. <laughs> Up to you. But it's a funny movie. It's a comedy, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. I had to memorize large parts of it for a drama thing in high school, so it's always kind of in the back of my mind. And so there's this... Recurring joke, a recurring kind of theme of where they think somebody's dead, but he's not really dead, right? So they think he's dead. He's like, well, I, I want to go for a walk. He's like, no, 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 you're not fooling anybody. And, and there's, there's one of these where, where Lancelot, he's running along, and he's pretending to ride a horse, and he's got his servant behind him, Concord, and he's knocking two coconuts together. And if you don't have any idea what this is, you got to really watch on YouTube because it's funny. But he's knocking uh, coconuts together, and uh, an arrow hits Concord. And so Lancelot turns to me and he says, oh no, you've died. And he says, well, I'm not quite dead. He says, oh no, you're mortally wounded. He says, well, actually, I think I'm going to pull through. He says, oh, well, you know, you're badly injured. Rest here. And he says, no, no, I think I can go with you. But, you know, Lancelot runs off. So we, we see these situations. We look at our lives and we think it's dead. And if it's not dead, it's mortally wounded. 
Right? So if you were a Jew in those days and you hear about Babylon, they're coming to get us. You think, man, it's dead. It's mortally wounded. There's not much hope. You'd be worried about your kids and your grandkids. Kind of the interesting thing is that Hezekiah wasn't. He was like, it goes to Isaiah, but this, is this going to happen to me? And they're like, no, your kids and your grandkids. He says, that's cool. I'm okay with that. Maybe the fact that he was such an unconcerned father was why his son turned out so poorly, but we don't know for sure. But it's in that hopelessness, it's in that difficulty, that we have Isaiah 45. And Isaiah's prophesying, and he's actually, it's actually the Lord speaking to Cyrus. And in a weird turn of events, God's prophesying that a Persian uh, general is going to come named Cyrus, who's going to defeat the Babylonians, and he's going to save the Jews. So we don't know for sure, but uh, one, one Jewish historian thought that, or said that uh, Cyrus knew about this prophecy. That's what kind of gave him boldness to go and attack the Babylonians. We don't know for sure. Not. Maybe why he was you know, kind of kind to the Jews afterwards, but, but we don't know. In any case, this is God speaking to him, but really to the presence, the presence of these Jews that are going to be hearing it. Because Cyrus doesn't even hear it. He's not born. So this is God speaking for the benefit of the Jews. And he says this, starting verse 4. For the sake of my servant Jacob and Israel, my chosen, I call you by your name. I name you, though you, Cyrus, do not know me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Shower, O heavens, from above, and let the clouds rain down righteousness. Let the earth open, that salvation and righteousness may bear fruit. Let the earth cause them both to sprout. I, the Lord, have created it. Now, this is good news that there's going to be some, some salvation for the Jews, but it's really weird because typically in the history of, the, of Israel, when God wanted to save his people, he used another Jew, right? He used Moses. He used the judges. He used his people. And now he's saying, I'm going to use a Persian. Why? Because he is the Lord. This is what he's saying. I created everything. I own everything. Everybody is my people. I can use the Persians because they're mine. I can use the Babylonians when I want to because they're mine. I do it all. I am in total control of everything, and I move pieces as I want it. He says, I am the Lord. There is no other. But he doesn't just leave it there with the power play. He doesn't just talk about how great he is. He says he's doing this, why? For the sake of his people. For the sake of his chosen. So that righteousness would shower down. He's saying that he is in control, but he has good intentions towards his people. He loves them. He hasn't forgotten his promise to Abraham that all the nations would be blessed through his seed. So he's not going to leave them all to die. They are his chosen people, and he's in control, and he's moving everything, and they're going to see his goodness as well as his power. We've been working in the, the jungle 
But then we got locked down. We couldn't really go shopping hardly, so we definitely couldn't travel out there. And so I was in my apartment in Panama City, and it was really kind of stressful to think about what was going on in the jungle, right? What was going on in La Reserva, the community we'd been working with. Everything happened so fast, we weren't able to go down there. We weren't able to prep them. Uh, we had brought them Bibles before, but we weren't really able to, to give them Bible studies or, or help them through this difficulty. And so the whole time, we were, we were just kind of stressed, praying. You, you're looking at the situation, you're like, I've been, I've been working for about a year trying to build these relationships, and now we're not able to go back. And you're wondering, well, maybe the ministry's dead. And if it's not dead, maybe it's mortally wounded. What's it going to be like when we finally show up. So from March on, we weren't able to go until December. And then me and, and the buddy I work with down there, we were able to go. And the chief pulls us aside and he says, you know, I've been thinking. He says, man is nothing without the Lord. So I want to be a follower of the Lord and I want to be baptized. And so we we're able to eventually baptize him in March. But here's the deal. I'm a missionary and I'm a pastor. Right, I like to preach. And so the story I would love to be able to come and tell you is that I went to the jungle and I preached this powerful message and the Holy Spirit just whooshed down onto the people and even the chief himself was moved and came to the Lord through the power of my preaching and the Lord as well. <laughs> but I can't say that because I wasn't even there. Right? I was in an apartment in this city, and God's moving. Why? Because he's dedicated. He's promised to his people. He's in control. I'm in the city worried about COVID, and he's moving all the pieces together. He's the God. There is no other. He's in control, and he loves his people, and he's continuing on his mission, and we can trust him. And the God who can use a Persian to defeat the Babylonians to save the Jews... He can do anything. So maybe you're sitting here today and you're looking at our culture, you're looking at how the way things are changing, and you're saying, I can't see how this is going to work out. I don't see how my kids are going to be okay. I don't see how my grandkids are going to be okay. I just, I just can't see it. You look at our country and you say, it's dead. And if it's not dead, it's mortally wounded. Maybe you've even stopped praying because what could possibly change? It's just dead. And the message today is, it's not dead yet. God is still on his throne. He's still in control. He's the one who brings well-bringing. He's the one who brings calamity. If he can use a Persian to defeat the Babylonians, to save the Jews, then you don't even know what he could do to change situations. But there's reason to hope. Because he loves us. Because he has good intentions for us, towards us. Maybe you've been sharing your faith with a family member or a friend, and they're just not getting it. You're, you're, you're having some conflict about this. You're worried. Maybe there's a strain in the relationship. And you say, well, it's a lost cause. Maybe you've stopped praying for them. Right? What, what could change? You look at the situation, and you say, it's dead. Or if it's not dead, it's mortally wounded. And the message today is, it's not dead yet. God is still on his throne. He's still in control. And if he can use a Persian to defeat the Babylonians to save the Jews, then he could save your family member too. He's in control. And he loves us. 
Maybe you're stuck in a bad marriage. You think your spouse is a jerk. Don't nudge him. This is not the time to nudge him. You think, I'm staying together maybe for the kids. Once the kids leave, I'm gone. Just hopeless. Maybe you've stopped praying for them. You look at them and you say, it's dead. If it's not dead, it's mortally wounded. But the message today is, it's not dead yet. There's still hope. There's still a God who brings well-being and calamity. And he's the one who's in control. We can still pray to him. We can still have hope because he's in control And he loves you, and he cares, and he's working all things out. Maybe you look at your life, and you shake your head, and you think, I've really messed this up. You just see failure after failure, the consequences of your sin, and you're like, there's no way God can change this. There's no way God can use this. Just messed up too bad. Maybe you've even stopped praying, and you look at your life, and you're like, it's dead. And if it's not dead, it's mortally wounded. And the message again today is this, it's not dead yet. God still lives. He's still on the throne. He's still in control. He still redeems people's lives. If he can use a Persian to defeat the Babylonians, to save the Jews, what can he do for you? He's still working. And as long as he lives, there's hope. Quien vive? Uh, We're going to do that one again. Quien vive? A su nombre. A su pueblo. Victory. We have victory, not of all of our plans and all of our desires. Our victory is tied up in Christ. As long as he lives, we have life. His victory is our victory. Romans says his resurrection is our resurrection. We have reason to hope even when everything looks bad because God is still on the throne. And because he lives, we can have hope. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know who holds the future, life is worth the living just because he lives. Sometimes those old hymns just really hit us hard. Sometimes the newer songs do too. That's a great thing about worship music. We can have hope. But there are uncertain days Even as the Jews are hearing these good news that that there is going to be a Persian who's going to save the day for them, there's still a little problem. Babylon. They're still going there. That's still ahead of them. Sometimes in our lives, we face difficult things. Sometimes countries do go bad. That's why we have a church in Panama, Venezuelans. Sometimes... People die in their sins. Sometimes marriages do end. Sometimes they should end. Sometimes we face hard consequences. And I think what Isaiah is doing, when he's in this room of Jews and he's giving them hope, and the hope is, is, another, is, is a Persian, right? It's not one of them. What he's reminding them is this. There are problems we can't solve. There's pain we can't avoid. 
but we can still have hope in the Lord. But sometimes we don't like that, and so we fight against it. And that's why he adds this in verse 9 and 10. Woe to him who strives with him who formed him, a pot among earthen pots. Does the clay say to him who forms it, what are you making? Or your work has no handles. Woe to him who says to his father, what are you begetting? Or to a woman, with what are you in labor? Right? We can... We can look at our lives and we can be like this pot that looks up at the maker and says, you didn't give me a handle, right? I'm trying to be a little teapot, short and stout, and all I've got is a spout. I got no handle. What's going on? Where's my handle? We fight against God's plan because we don't want to go to Babylon. We don't want to feel the pain. So we get stressed and anxious. How do we solve this problem? And God's saying that there's some problems we can't solve. Sometimes we hear the call of the gospel, and we think, well, I don't want to submit to that. I can just be good enough. I can just be a good enough person and maybe get saved on my own, earn my salvation. I don't want to submit to God and his rules. It doesn't work. The Bible says it doesn't work if there was another way. God wouldn't have sent Jesus to die. But we fight against it. We want to solve our own problems. And it reminds me of the first time I went to the jungle. So we, uh, we moved to Panama. And I have a friend there that we've known for a long time. And he says, hey, listen, there's this community out in the jungle. And uh, they need some pastoral help. I would love it if you would come and work with me there. And I said, that sounds awesome, Yes. He says, well, there's one problem. You are out of shape. I had a shape, round. Um, I have that again, so that's nice. But uh, he's like, you're just not going to make it. I can't take you because uh, it would do the people no good because you wouldn't make it. <laughs> so uh, that sounds harsh, but like, I get it. I moved to Panama without tennis shoes on purpose. I didn't even want to be tempted for exercise. I'm like, get behind me, Satan. Bring on the Oreos of righteousness. And that's, that's the way I was living. So I had to get tennis shoes because I wanted to go to the jungle. I had to get into better shape, shape-ish. And so finally the day comes and, and we're able to go out there. And it's like a four-hour drive to this border town. And then you get on the back of this pickup truck, like taxi thing called the Chiva. Then it's an hour on the Chiva. And then you get to the trail. And uh, you have to hike in. And you have to bring everything with you, your food, where you're going to sleep, all that. So it's like 50 pounds. And uh, hiking on this trail is not long, but it's hot. And it's really steep, really rough. And, uh, you know, I was the Oreo guy. So it was hard. It was a hard walk for me. And so we get going there, and, uh, and I'm, I'm, we're at the end of the walk, and I'm, I'm just I'm barely hanging on, and there's this river. And the village is on the other side. Like immediately on the other side of the river is the village. And so my buddy who invited me, he said, listen, let me pass through. Uh, yeah, because he's the one in shape. Uh, let me pass through. I'll talk to the community. They'll send a canoe, and they'll bring you over. <laughs> you're not still in my handle. I am going through, 
right? This is the Indiana Jones stuff that I've been dreaming about, right? I was raised on Oregon Trail. It's time to ford the river. So I start walking in the river, and I immediately realize I've made a terrible mistake. <laughs> if you've ever walked in, like, waist-deep water with a current, and you've walked against the current, you know that that's actually harder than walking on dry land. And so I was already, like, on zero, and so immediately all my energy's gone, and I'm just one, one foot in front of the other, and I'm, I'm trying hard. And I'm going, and I'm going, and I'm getting close. And it's like, this is going to work. I'm going to make it. And then I put my foot down, and it hits the mud, and it keeps going up to my knee. And, and it creates this, like, suction effect, right, this quicksand effect where the, the, the air gets pushed out, and it just suctions into your leg. So there I am in the river, suctioned up to my knee in the mud. It's like, I guess I live here now. <laughs> Forward my mail. And I look up at the guy, and he says, hey, don't worry. They saw us coming, and they've already sent the canoe. <laughs> so the canoe comes up, takes off my bag, helps me out of the mud, takes me to shore. It was great because they love being able to make fun of me. But it reminds me of the way we live oftentimes when we try to do things on our own strength. We think that we're wronged by not having the handle, that the maker did something wrong, that his intentions towards us are not good. We're going to do it our own way. We're not going to submit to him. We're going to find our own way to salvation. We're going to find our own way to do this. And so many of you now are there, right? You've walked in the river and you feel stuck in the mud. And you, you're looking around and you can't figure out a way out. And the message to you today is that there is a canoe and Jesus is the canoe. And that if we turn, put our hope in him, he'll come up, he'll take off our burdens, he'll take us out of the mud, and he'll take us to shore. We have reason to hope when we have to face Babylon because there's a person who loves us who's in control. Right? We, have, we have reason to hope and to not fight it, not because we just throw up our arms and, well, let fate have it, but because there's a God, the living God, who loves us and who's in control. And see, the Jews facing Babylon, they, their only hope was, was this Persian guy who was going to change us, change, uh, save them. But our hope is so much greater than that. Because we have Christ who came, who lived a perfect life, 100% man, 100% God, went to the cross, died for our sins, gives us his righteousness, invites us to repent. He died, he rose, ascended to heaven. He intercedes for us. We have the guarantee of his good intentions through the gospel. He invites us to repent. And if you've, if you've never done that, I would invite you to do that in a minute during our song of response. But for those of you who are in Christ, we remember the hope that we have. 
There may be Babylon tomorrow, but there's going to be glory the day after. The day day after, there's going to be no more tears. There's going to be no more pain. And all the pain and suffering we face now is going to be drowned by millions and millions of years of bliss with our Savior. He promises to save us. There's reason for hope. And even though you might be looking at your life, you might be looking at your situation, thinking it's dead or it's mortally wounded, because we serve the living God, it's not dead yet. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the one true God. We thank you that you are in control, that the things that surprise us, the things that frighten us, do not surprise or frighten you. But we thank you that you're just not a person in control, but you're somebody working with our good in mind. You have good intentions towards us. You love us, and you've offered us a way of hope and peace. Give us your peace today, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The promise of the benediction is that the God who changes things, changes graves into gardens, has changed a people who weren't his people into his people. And through the adoption we get through Christ, we are his children. We are really his children. And when the Lord thinks of you, it's with a smile on his face and joy in his heart. So adopted child of God, receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace, both now and forever. Amen.